0: Well, all right, pull out your Bibles and pull out your outlines, and uh, we are going to take another shot at 1 Corinthians 14. This this may be the the highest degree of difficulty as we make our way through this letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, but we are going to tackle it. And uh, I thought no better way than to uh, familiarize ourselves with a gerund. So all of you grammar geeks, right? You know what I'm talking about. You throw a little ing on the end there and you can just literally make any word do whatever you want to. So the word for today is adulting. Adulting. Isn't that a great name? I don't know how long it's been around. I've read some articles, some historical stuff and... It's been around for a while, but you may be unfamiliar. So I looked up some definitions. I want to go through these with you so that when you use this word, you'll know what you're talking about. So first of all, adulting is doing something grown up and responsible. Now notice this doesn't mean you're actually being an adult. You're just doing an adult thing. Okay. Secondly, to carry out one or more, no need to get carried away there. One or more of the duties and responsibilities expected of fully developed individuals. That's adulting. And then there is this more gloomy side of adulting that we all just kind of come to terms with. Post-adolescence, when the light in your eyes fade away and dies. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty heavy. So at least you know what you're talking about. Now, out on the, uh, the internet, there's lots of uh, sources of encouragement for those who would want to try adulting. So I'm just pointing these to you. You can Google them all, but one of uh, the most important things is an, agre- an ingredient of daily life that's coffee, because adulting is hard. So make sure you get your cup at the beginning of the day. Then um, here's a little motivational word for those of you who want to jump out on this shout out to everyone who got through the day without taking a nap pulled an all-dayer today pretty rough that's adulting at its finest sometimes when you're trying to adult it it can get pretty terrifying this is a this is an actual experience of someone They, they talked about that horrifying moment when you're looking for an adult but you realize that you are an adult. So you look around for an older adult, an adultier adult, someone better at adulting than you. Have you been there? That's a a terrifying place. It's always fun when you find somebody somewhere in that. Well, believe it or not, the passage, this actually is relevant for today. This wasn't just comedic uh, interludes. Um, This passage, is about adulting, spiritually speaking. And one of the things Paul's doing is he's he's come to this church and they are manifesting spiritual gifts that are pretty spectacular. But it's kind of like a kid with a new toy. And they don't necessarily realize what they've got, they just enjoy playing with it. And Paul is coming into that saying, You know what, Um, we've got to talk about using these gifts that God has given to you, using them in a way that is a better reflection of what God intended when he gave them to you to begin with. Look at verse 20, that's really the, the heart of chapter 14 and the thing that he's trying to correct, the key verse. Brothers, and you can put sisters in there, do not be children in your thinking be infants in evil. So it's okay (laughs) to, to be inexperienced and to not understand evil in the sense of like you're living in it. But in your thinking, be mature. Now that begs the question, what is maturity? What is spiritual maturity? And we're gonna get to that, but I want you to think for just a moment about kids. And I'm not being hard on kids I I had four I was a kid at one point this is just kind of some observations that we uh, I hope are fairly obvious when we think about children they're generally self-serving self-seeking like self-absorbed right they don't know any better that's they kind of come out of the womb and it's like okay I got to take care of me very natural they're oriented around immediate or temporary not long term or certainly eternal they're captivated by the spectacular over real substance easily distracted short attention spans and you know all these things we don't think poorly of our kids for that we just go that's that's what it is to be a kid that's childlikeness but when you see an adult Reflecting those kinds of attributes or characteristics, you think that's not childlikeness, that's childishness. <laughs> and that's not a good thing. An adult is supposed to act like an adult and reflect that kind of perspective. So it brings us back to our question what does spiritual maturity in this context? look like. And last week, Jeff covered the first 12 verses of chapter 14, and it ends with a beautiful statement pointing us to what this maturity involves. Chapter 14, verse 12, Paul says, so with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, and he doesn't critique that. There's nothing wrong with that. He's like, you can be eager for that, but... Strive to excel in building up the church. That is adulting. See, that is beginning to look beyond the gift that I possess to how I might use it to accomplish God's purposes in others, not just use it for my own amusement. Last week, we learned that the primary purpose Related to the gifts that we're gonna look at today, tongues and prophecy, is edification. This idea of building up. The opposite of that is tearing down. And you can use, believe it or not, you can use the gifts that God has given you to do either. It's all dependent upon your focus, your motives, What are you trying to do with what God has given you? So we're gonna learn from Paul spiritual adulting as it relates to edification and it's required. You you have to have this mature perspective or you will not use the gifts that God has given you to build up the church. So let's dive in. I've basically given you a series of Uh, lessons or principles that I think we can take away from this text that do relate to thinking maturely about our gifts. So first of all, let's start with uh, this. Maturity thoughtfully engages the mystery of supernatural manifestations. Maturity thoughtfully engages the mystery of supernatural manifestations immaturity on the other hand is very simplistic and dogmatic and if you'll go out and you do a little bit of research and you just see what people are writing or saying particularly as it relates to spiritual gifts particularly miraculous spiritual gifts you're going to find there is a great divide and people start to dig in their heels And they start to set up tribes or silos. And it's like, you're either on my team or not on my team. And if you're not on my team, I'm against you. And that's disunity. And that can't possibly be what God wants for his church. So maturity says, I want to think carefully, humbly about this mystery. This is mysterious stuff. This is God's stuff that that we can't just put in a neat little box and, and be done with it. So let's look at how Paul thinks about this gift of tongues in particular. He says in verse 13, therefore one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. Jeff talked some about that last week and the idea of unintelligibility. I'll get to that in a moment. But he continues. For if I pray in a tongue, this is why I would pray that I might interpret, if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. So again, you get into these charismatic, non-charismatic discussions and it's as if you have to choose. Like you have to land on one side or the other and the mature perspective Paul says is, let's think about this for a minute. If I'm praying and I happen to have this gift of tongues then that is going to engage my spirit. And he doesn't say there's anything wrong with that. It's like that. that's totally fine. But here's the reality. If all you do is engage your spirit, then your mind is unfruitful. Literally, it is barren. It's useless. It can't do anything because it can't engage content. So it, it just sort of rests. So he's saying, why wouldn't you, even if you have this gift, why wouldn't you engage your spirit and your mind? That would be a mature way to approach this gifting. And certainly that matters when that gift begins to work itself out corporately. See, if I'm just engaging my spirit and I don't even know what's going on, my mind is unfruitful, how in the world can I do what Paul said is our highest priority? Build up the church. See, I can't do that for you. I have nothing to offer you other than some show. So I want to engage both, which is a lot more difficult, a lot more complicated, perhaps a lot more mysterious, but I'm going to engage both so that I can use my gift in a mature way. Now, why is the mind so important in this? Just jot down Romans 12, 2. Elsewhere, like in Romans, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. So, if our mind is not engaged, if our mind is, quote, unfruitful, we're not gonna change. And that's one of the most important things that God wants to do in your life and in mine is change us, help us to mature. The the theological word is sanctification. So we can't get into spiritual gifting and check out mentally. We need to bring all of ourselves to even these gifts that God has given us so that we can use them in a God-honoring way. So maturity thoughtfully engages this mystery. Secondly, Maturity recognizes and addresses needs other than one's own. So you can kind of see how this childishness could play out if I'm thinking only about me and my gift and nobody else, I I can get myself into trouble. Let's let's end with verse 15 and then flow into uh, verse 16. So Paul says, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Then verse 16, otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, and then put in parentheses there, and do not engage your mind, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you're saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough but the person is not being built up. So according to Paul, if you are spiritually adulting as it relates to your gifts, you don't ever have the freedom to just sort of turn off your mind and turn off your sensitivity to the people around you. That's actually your highest priority. You go, okay, Something's happening with me and God here. And if I'm in a corporate gathering, if we're assembled together, then I'm not going to assume that whatever it is God's doing is only for me. I'm gonna assume because we're together that this must be good for others in addition to me. So I'm going to prayerfully exercise my gifts with another's needs in mind. And trust that God will work in me and in them. I, I love this word amen in here. You've said it a billion times, perhaps, in your life. John Piper has a great message on this word, just specifically the word amen. Here's what he says that is the only word that is transcultural. I don't even know if this is a word, transhistorical. Like literally any culture you go to, regardless of their language. That's the word they use to end a prayer, amen. So you could go anywhere and if you say amen, here's what you're saying. Whatever it is that you're praying, I'm making that my prayer. I'm joining with you in that. That's a place of commonality that we have when we're talking with God together. So if I don't know what you're praying, if I have no clue what's going on with you, I can't say amen. We can't join into that place together. And and Paul would say that's a travesty in the body of Christ. We ought to be able to enter into edification, mutual edification together. Here's what D.A. Carson says about that. Edification in the church depends utterly upon intelligibility, understanding, and coherence. So It simply means if I'm going to edify you, I really have to take into consideration whether you are able to join me in whatever it is I'm doing or saying or even thinking. So we we wanna drive toward that. In a corporate setting, the suitability of tongues is strictly limited by two criteria. It must be intelligible. So a bunch of noise that nobody understands that is not interpreted is out. It is unacceptable, it is prohibited. We're gonna see more in that next week in Jeff's passage. But secondly, because we have a Bible, uh, that word, that phrase, that utterance must have scriptural conformity. Now here's what that looked like in the early church. They didn't have a New Testament, right? So you just got this new church thing that's starting to come together and you have these guys called apostles and they are the authority of the early church. They alone established the foundation of the church. So they determine what's true and what's not true, what's godly and what is ungodly. They're the standard. They begin to write letters that becomes a standard although they're all separated until I think like third century-ish but everybody begins to recognize that there is God's word and everybody else's words come under that it's the standard for anything that anybody else might say or do does that make sense that's really important Having said that, when corporate worship was taking place, people would prophesy. They would speak in tongues. This was a way that God was speaking into the corporate gathering of his people, and it was always evaluated by either the apostles themselves, their writings, or the leadership of that church. So nobody could ever just say, hey, I got a word. And then everybody else goes, okay, and then they just take it. It's like it's always evaluated. It always has to be uh, considered very carefully. Um, I recall uh, I was in a group, not from this church, but a a group of believers. We were in a meeting and I remember this guy saying, I I got a word, so we're all kind of like, okay. So then he starts speaking in an unintelligible language. Nobody knows what he's saying. So we're all kind of sitting there patiently waiting. And when he finishes, what do we we say? What's the interpretation, right? That's the right biblical question. And guess what he started doing? Quoting scripture. So then I'm like, hold on a second here. So you spoke in a language that none of us understood, then you interpret what you said, and it's just Bible. I, did, well, did that other step, was that necessary? It was almost like hearing it in a language that we couldn't understand actually made it more than it was if I'd heard it in English. And I'm trying to tell you guys something, that is crazy. Listen, this word in English, doesn't matter what language it's in. If you understand the language all by itself, it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It doesn't need any special sauce. It doesn't need any window dressings. You can't do anything to improve upon this. Now, I'm not making a statement about tongues and prophecy when I say that. I'm saying that if I'm doing something that appears to be spectacular, and then I simply go back and I just start quoting scripture, that just doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it does to you, but I I can just read this all by itself. And that is as powerful as any word I will ever hear because it is straight from God. If you're reading your Bible, you might as well have God sitting down right in front of you, talking to you face to face. That's what this book is. So we don't want to get that confused. The early church didn't have that. It was a process of development. And so, a lot of the other activity actually helped to guide and authenticate the early church so they would know what is true and what isn't, okay? Let's keep moving. Number three, maturity embraces the responsibility that comes from enablement. Maturity embraces the responsibility that comes with enablement. Here's how Paul says it. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he had that gift, he practiced that gift and he was very thankful for it. That was a legitimate and very meaningful part of his walk with Christ. Verse 19, nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's spiritual adulting. That's someone recognizing that I wasn't given this gift for me to be entertained or amazed or whatever. I was given this gift to use to build up others. And if I'm not able to build up others with it, I will set it aside. And I'll do something that from a numbers standpoint seems uh, incredibly odd, But, but I'll settle for five words that will help you grow in your faith and your understanding of God, I will will embrace that. I'll take that, I'll choose that over 10,000 words that nobody can understand, including myself. He understands the, the weight that comes with our gifting. That there's a responsibility attached to that, it's not an entitlement, it's not a toy. It's a tool to be used for the good of the church. Now, make no mistake, I believe Paul uh, practiced his gift. He obviously had great reservations about using it in a corporate setting where there wasn't interpretation. So where do you think he practiced this gift? Probably in private. And he doesn't seem to have any apprehension about that at all. So it is important to to recognize where we are and how we're using our gifts. Maturity gets that God's gifts come with responsibility, not privilege, primarily. And spiritual adulting involves not being enamored with a gift, but compelled by the assignment that's attached to it. God has great purposes for you in giving you gifts You just need to focus on using them as he intends. That brings us to this verse 20 that we started with our key verse about not being children in our thinking, but being mature. So continue on in verse 21. The next principle is maturity gains wisdom from the failures of others. See a child, and we've all been there, tends to think that he or she is an exception. Have you thought that before? You saw somebody really mess it up and then you kind of thought, I, I would never do that. I, I, I wouldn't have missed that. Wouldn't catch me falling into that trap. But but maturity says, I'm as capable of that as anybody on the planet. It's humility. Paul quotes Isaiah 28. Let me read it to you in verse 21 of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 14, in the law, it is written by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, will I speak to this people. And even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers. Now it's interesting. This is This can be very confusing. Hopefully, it'll be clear when we're done. But Paul is pointing back to an occasion with Israel where, and we just taught Isaiah, so you might remember this, where Isaiah was telling the northern kingdoms, um, you guys, you guys better straighten up because you are off track and the Lord is speaking to you plainly. And they mocked the prophet, they dismissed everything that he said, and so. We get this, he says, okay, here's what God's gonna do. He's gonna send a people of a strange tongue that you can't understand. And that is gonna be a sign to you of God's judgment. So in that sense, tongues, which in their case was the Assyrians, that was a sign of judgment. Now, how would that relate to the people in Corinth? Well, they're thinking in an immature way. Well, if we got lots of signs going on and we're speaking in a bunch of languages that nobody understands and they're kind of starstruck by the show, well, surely they're going to want to know our God. Look at verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, what happens? Will they not all say that you are out of your minds? That's what's going to happen. Now, here's the tragedy of it all. They will walk out the door with contempt for your God. And they'll stay in their sin. And they'll spend eternity in hell. And the sign will be all of those unintelligible words that you were so enamored by, and so excited about. That's the sign that he's talking about. And it's the last thing in the world that we would ever want as a church, right? We don't want contempt. We want conviction. We want the unbeliever to go, wow, I am, Lost and separated from God. I need forgiveness. I need need my life changed. Here's how it happens. Keep reading. If all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you, What the unbeliever needs is this. Eugene Peterson calls it plain truth speaking that anybody can understand. And wouldn't that be more valuable than something that no one can understand? That, that's what ought to be common in the church, that we are constantly rehearsing the words of God and we know for certain that this book contains those. Everything else has to be run through the filter of what this says is true. But we wanna talk very freely about what is true from God's word, his word to his people. Now it was interesting, he said that, Prophecy was a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. So how does that happen? Well, he's saying that as you see the effect that the truth of prophecy, of plain spoken truth, as you see the effect that it has on an unbeliever, conviction, accountability, transparency, humility, worship, that's a sign to you of God's reality, It bolsters your faith, it addresses your doubts, it helps you to cling closely to what he is doing in and through your life and your community of faith. That's a good sign. We wanna avoid the other side and cling to this one. And I guess the great payoff of all of this is at the end. I don't know if you caught this phrase but He talks about the unbeliever declaring, based upon their experience in your community of faith, having heard truth spoken, they would say God is really among you. Not because of a show, but because of his spirit that is evident in how you relate to one another, your heart to build up, rather than to separate or tear down. That's what we want to be said about Fellowship Bible Church. I think that's what any church would want to be said of them. That there's a recognition God is here, and it seems to be that that is less evidenced by odd, strange, unexplainable things, and more from how we really love each other. That seems to be the best evidence of all again not to diminish the gifting of God so i don't want you to hear that corinthians problem was an obsession with the other instead of it having its own place in the larger body of life so with all of that said some great Principles of spiritual adulting. I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to very concretely point out in you where is that place of compliance where you're saying, you know, Lord, I want to use, maybe you don't know what your gifts are. Maybe that's something that we can work on and talk about and develop. Um, Maybe it is you are... Uh, more attracted by or enamored with gifting than you are about how those might be used to build up the church. Well, whatever it is that God might be doing in you, here's the thing. We all want to be actively edifying one another. So ask the Lord how you might apply that today to your life and your walk with Christ.